Well, it's awesome to know and it's awesome to be reminded of the fact that as we just sung, a song that's taken straight from the Psalms actually, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. That's why we're here tonight. We want to be in the presence of the Lord together. We want to enter into His throne room through worship and through Bible study. I'm thankful for you. I hope that today's been encouraging to you as we've been able to walk through Scripture together. We've been able to approach God's throne in prayer. We've been able to sing songs of praise to Him to meet around the Lord's table and to remember what He did for us to give back to Him a portion of what He's given to us. What an awesome Lord we serve. And I hope that what we've done today encourages us as we look forward to this week. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I'd love for you to join me if you have your copy of God's Word with you tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. We're nearing the end of our study of the book of Ephesians. Tonight we're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I think looking at perhaps a pretty familiar passage, a passage that you've thought about before, yet a passage that we need to be reminded of. Then next week we're going to spend some time in verses 21 through 24 and we're going to have to move on to something else. And I'm excited about the plans for what we're going to move on to in just a couple of weeks. But before we get to that, we have to walk through this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, this is war. War is a word that we've heard a lot over the past couple of weeks. Thinking about the conflict, the war that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, it's something that you see all over the news and the headlines. It's something that you see on social media. We mentioned it a couple of different times in our worship service this morning. We're actually going to have the opportunity as a congregation to help some of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. We need to be praying about that situation. We need to be praying about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We also need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia, that family of God exists in both of those countries. So we need to be prayerful for them. But when we think about war, war is a word that we've heard a lot over the last couple of weeks, but it's not new to us. War is something it is not something that's new to human civilization. In fact, as long as humans have existed, war has existed. A group of historians came together one time and they were looking through history together and running some numbers and this is what they came up with that within the last 5,600 years there have been 14,351 wars. That's a lot, isn't it? It's almost triple the amount of years that we're talking about, the amount of wars. In the last 5,600 years, there have been 14,351 wars, and those wars have resulted in about 3.64 billion casualties. That's half of the world's population right now. 3.64 billion and then during that same 5,600 year period, according to this group of historians, there have only been about 292 years of peace. To me, that's just mind-blowing. That out of 5,600 years, there have only been 292 years. If you take all the times of peace and put them together, there have only been 292 years 
of peace. War is something that we're familiar with. We're, we've heard about it over the last couple of weeks. We're going to hear about it into the foreseeable future. It's not something that's new. And when we look at this text that's in front of us, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10-20, through 20, Paul talks to us about a war that's unlike any other war that's ever happened. It's a war that's unlike any other war that has ever existed. In fact, the war that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 is one that we are involved in. It's one that we participate in every single day of our lives. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, Paul emphasizes this spiritual war that we are a part of as Christians. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, this war that we're waging as followers of Jesus, it's not against people. We're not fighting against humans. We're not fighting against individuals. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Unlike every other war in human history, the war that we're fighting in is not physical. It's spiritual. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Instead, we are wrestling against those spiritual forces of evil, Paul says, in the heavenly places. We are wrestling. Every day we are fighting against Satan and his minions. Satan and his demons. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, your adversary, in other words, your enemy, in this war we have an enemy. Who is it? It's the devil. What does the devil do? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour in this war we have an enemy and that enemy wants to completely destroy us that enemy wants to destroy our relationships with God he prowls around with great stealth he roars with great strength trying to devour who we are and what we're supposed to be about as followers of Jesus this is war Every single day that we live, we are involved in spiritual warfare against a common enemy, against Satan and his demons. This is not make-believe. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something that we just think about on, on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, or maybe even on Wednesday nights. This is something that should be at the forefront of our minds every single day that we live. This is war. As we think about that reality tonight, I want us to ask a few questions. Number one, what must we do to be victorious in this war? In every war, there's a winner and there's a loser. There's someone who's victorious and there's someone who is defeated. So as we wage war against Satan and his minions, against those spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places, what do we have to do to be victorious? Well, the central command of this passage, what this passage comes back to, what the command that this passage flows from, is found twice in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, Ephesians 6 and verse 13. We are to put on the whole armor of God. As we've mentioned a few different times in our study of Ephesians, as Paul writes this letter, he's under house arrest. He's in prison. Every single day, all day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, he would have been guarded by a Roman soldier. Those Roman soldiers would have rotated every four hours. 
And so you can picture Paul as he's under house arrest. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians. And when he thinks about this war that we are involved in as Christians, he looks up at that Roman soldier standing in front of him, guarding him constantly. And he thinks about when those Roman soldiers go to battle. When those Roman soldiers go to battle, what do they do? They put on armor to protect them. They put on armor to fight against the enemy. Paul uses the illustration of physical armor in physical warfare to talk about the spiritual armor that we are to put on in our spiritual warfare. Just like Romans put on the armor of Rome, we as Christians are to put on the whole armor of God. It's God's armor. He's given us exactly what we needed to be victorious in this battle, to be victorious in this war. All that we have to do is put it on. All that we have to do is clothe ourselves with it, put on the whole armor of God. But why? Why is that so important? In order to be victorious in this spiritual war against Satan and his minions, why do we need to put on the whole armor of God? Well, again, in verse 11 and in verse 13, Paul gives us a couple of different reasons. First, he says in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Back in World War II, General MacArthur went to one of his engineers and told him, I need you to build me a bridge, and I want you to have plans written out for it in three days. The engineer said, okay, we can do that. So you fast forward three days later, General MacArthur comes back to the engineer and says, where are my plans? He says, well, the bridge is done. You can walk across the bridge right now. But if you want plans for the bridge, you're going to have to wait a little while. We're not finished with those yet. And maybe that's the way that we live our lives sometimes. We live by the seat of our pants. We live reacting to what happens to us on a daily basis. Do you think Satan wages war that way? Do you think that he wages war by chance? The way that Satan attacks you on a daily basis, oh, he has a hat and he's just taking a number out of it. Oh, well, I guess that's what I'm going to be involved in today. Let me go ahead and t attack and then I'll go and build the plans later. You think that's what Satan does? According to Ephesians 6 and verse 11, Satan schemes against us. Just like an army, before they go out to war, Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Luke, before they go out to war, they're going to sit down and they're going to scheme and they're going to make a plan. That's what Satan does against us. Before Satan attacks us, he thinks about us. He thinks about our weaknesses. Satan thinks about the best way to pull us away from God, then guess what? He does it. How can we stand against Him? How can we be victorious over Him? We have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to do what Paul is talking about in this section of Scripture. When we put on the whole armor of God, we're going to be able to stand against Satan's schemes and we're going to be able to stand against the devil's attacks. And then he says in verse 13, we put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. When the evil day comes, when the day of temptation, when the day of trial comes, we put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand firm. When we put on the whole armor of God in this spiritual battle against our spiritual enemy, we're not going to be defeated. We're not going to fall. We're not going to retreat. We're not going to be killed. We're not going to be harmed. And even when we put on the whole armor of God, it's not just that we'll be able to barely stand against the devil and we're going to scratch and claw against him and just barely make it. 
No, when we put on the whole armor of God, when that evil day, when that day of temptation comes, Paul says we're going to be able to stand firm against Him. Like a tree. Firmly rooted and planted in the ground. When we put on the full armor of God, we're going to be fully rooted and planted in Jesus. We're not going to move. When Satan plots against us, when he carries out those schemes to attack us, we're going to stand firm when we put on the full armor of God. Well, what is the armor of God? If this is something that we need to put on to be victorious in the spiritual war that we're waging against our enemy every single day, what is it? What does the armor of God look like? Paul talks about the armor of God in seven different pieces. First, he says, we have to put on the belt of truth in chapter 6 and verse 14. You know why that is? Because our enemy, Satan, is a liar. Jesus says this about him in John chapter 8 and verse 44, that he does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him, Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks of his own character. That's just who he is. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. There is no truth in Satan. And guess what? He doesn't want there to be any truth in you. God, Satan, rather, doesn't want you to hear the truth. He doesn't want you to believe the truth. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to obey the truth. And so what do we do? We put on the belt of truth. Not only knowing what the truth says but being able to apply it in our lives. Having the discernment to say, this is what's true and this is what's false as we live our lives on a daily basis. Satan is a liar. He is full of deceit. Therefore, we have to be filled with the truth that God has delivered to us in the pages of this book. Number two, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. There are a couple of different ways of considering the breastplate of righteousness and what that means. First, it could refer to something that we receive from God. How are we able to stand as righteous before God? Well, I stand as righteous before God because I just don't make any mistakes. And I don't sin. And, and I, I'm, I'm perfect. John says in 1 John chapter 1, if you claim that you don't have sin in your life, then you're lying. You make God out to be a liar and you're not standing in the truth. We all have things that we struggle with. We don't stand as righteous before God on our own merit. We stand as righteous before God based on Jesus' merit. That's what the term justification is all about. Through Jesus, God has extended to us righteousness. He has extended to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He has extended to us the righteousness of Jesus. When we place our faith in Him, whenever we obey Him, God is the one who makes us righteous. God is the one who declares us to be righteous. The book of Isaiah, talking about our righteousness, what we do, he says our righteousness before God is like filthy rags. A very vivid picture there. We're able to stand before God as righteous because He's the one who has made us to be righteous. And so this could refer to something that we receive from God, but I think it could also refer to something that we do for God. Whenever we receive the righteousness of Jesus, we're going to reflect that in the way that we live. We're going to reflect that in the decisions that we make. We're going to do the things that are right and stay away from the things that are wrong. So we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, we are to put on the shoes 
of the readiness, or some translations might say the preparation given by the gospel of peace. Consider that idea of readiness or preparation here for just a minute. Before I get up to preach, I have to spend some time preparing. I have to spend some time getting ready for it. I have to spend time in study. If I don't spend time in study, I'm not going to have anything to say. It's the same with athletes. Before they go out and they compete on the athletic field, before they play in any kind of game, they have to get ready for the game. They have to prepare for the game in practice. Before a student takes a test, hopefully, at least they should spend some time studying for that test. Going back over notes, making sure they know everything that was covered in class. They have to prepare so that they can do well on the class. So what are we saying here when we talk about the readiness given by the gospel of peace? We're saying that the gospel gives us everything that we need. We don't need anything outside of the gospel to prepare us, to ready us, to fight against our enemy, to fight against Satan. The gospel prepares us and makes us ready. It gives us everything that we need. All, again, all that we have to do is put it on. Through prayer, meditation, Bible study, evangelism, ministry, service, the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We find all that we need to be victorious over Satan in the gospel. And therefore, we have to put that into action on a daily basis. Number four, we have to take up the shield of faith in verse number 16. He says, in all circumstances, so that we will be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one, our enemy. When you think about shields in the first century, I don't know about you, but when I picture a shield, I picture something that's kind of small and it's circular, and maybe it has a gold complexion to it. That's not exactly what they looked like in the first century. In first century, Roman shields were rectangles. They were curved just a little bit. It was two pieces of wood glued together. They would wrap it in canvas, and then they would wrap it in calfskin. And they would go into battle with this shield. It was a very important defensive weapon See, back in the first century, armies figured out how to shoot a lot of arrows at one time. So they're not just shooting one arrow, but they're shooting a lot of arrows at once. And then add on top of that, they'll take the tips of the arrows and light them on fire. Now, how are you going to be able to stand against those arrows if you're in battle in the first century? One option, you can run away and hope that you run fast enough and far enough. Or option number two, you can take your rectangle shield you can get down on your knees, put that shield on your back, and as those arrows are coming at you, the shield will not only protect you from them, but the calfskin, the reason they wrapped it in calfskin is that it would put out the flame. And so Paul uses that idea to talk about what we are to do as Christians. Look at what Satan is doing. Satan is constantly shooting these arrows at us. Satan is constantly throwing temptations our way. These fiery darts, fiery arrows are constantly coming in our direction. So what do we do? We take up the shield of faith. We take our faith. We take our trust in God. We cover ourselves with that. And that's going to protect us from the fiery darts of the wicked one. Do you trust in God? Have you placed your faith in Him? Romans 10 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Do you trust Him with everything that you have? Because when you do, that's going to protect you from the flaming arrows of the wicked one. Number five, we have to put on the helmet of salvation. One thing about Satan 
is that he wants us to live and to die in our sins. Satan wants us to live separated from God, but even more than that, he wants us to die separated from God. Thanks be to God we don't have to fall into that. Thanks be to God that we don't have to live our lives separated from our Creator. God has provided a way of salvation through Jesus. Through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, through the exaltation of Jesus, we have the opportunity to draw near to God, to form relationships with God. But that's not something that just happens. We have to take the helmet of salvation and put it on. The New Testament tells us how to do it. We hear His Word. We believe it with all that we have. We confess Jesus' name before others. We make the decision that we're going to repent of our sins. Romans 6 talks about how we're buried in baptism and we're raised up with Jesus to walk in newness of life. Acts 2.38 talks about how we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. At that moment, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, claiming His salvation. In that moment, putting on the helmet of salvation. You know what Satan's going to tell you? Satan's going to tell you, you can just wait to do that. What's the rush? What's the hurry? You don't really need to be baptized to be saved, do you? I mean, you're a pretty good person as it is. Do you really think all of those things are essential? Just wait a little while. You don't have to do it right now. What God tells us to do is if we're going to be victorious in this battle, we have to put on the helmet of salvation and there has to be a sense of urgency to it. Number six, we take up the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit in verse 17? It's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, what we have recorded for us in the pages of Scripture, has been inspired by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit made sure that what the human writers wrote down in this book is exactly what God wants us to have. It's the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is unique. Out of all of these different parts of the armor that we've been talking about, this is the only part that's used both offensively and defensively. You want to see how the sword of the Spirit is used? Spend some time this week in Matthew the 4th chapter or in Luke chapter 4. And see how Jesus stood against Satan. When Satan tempted Jesus on three separate occasions, he responded by saying what? It is written. And he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy each and every time. He fought against Satan. He fought against the enemy with the sword of the Spirit. He knew Scripture. Scripture was in his heart. Scripture was in his head. And as a result, he was able to apply it in his life. And that's what we have to be able to do. We have to know the Word of God. We have to be able to apply the Word of God to our lives, like we talked about a moment ago with the belt of truth, to fight against our enemy and to defend ourselves. And then the last part of the armor that we see here is communication. In verses 18-20, through 20, communication is absolutely essential in warfare. One of the illustrations, one of the ways that we see that is in the Battle of France in World War II in 1940. Do you know how the Germans were able to so easily defeat the French? It's because the Germans had the most updated technology when it came to communication. They had wireless radios where they could talk back and forth so, so easily. In contrast, France, get this, had only spent 0.15% of their military budget in the last 20 years up leading to World War II on communication technology. 
0.15%. I guess you could say their communication technology was a little bit out of date. Because Germany was able to have conversation and communicate with one another so easily and so quickly, the Battle of France in 1940 is also known as the Fall of France. Communication is absolutely essential in physical warfare, and it's essential in spiritual warfare. We see that in a couple of ways. First, in verse 18, we have to have communication with God in this war. Paul says in verse number 18 that as we put on the full armor of God, we are to be praying at all times. Pray when things are good in your life. Pray when everything's going as normal and it just seems to be a normal week. Pray when things are busy. Pray when things aren't so busy. Pray when things are hard. In the most difficult moment of your life, spend time in prayer. If we're going to be victorious in this battle against Satan, we have to spend time on our knees talking to God having conversation with Him, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all supplication in prayer. And then notice, this isn't just something that's for ourselves in verse 18. We are not to use this selfishly, exclusively, but we're to make supplication for all the saints. So in this war, it's not just that I'm fighting by myself, we're fighting together. And so while I talk to God about me, I'm also going to talk to God about you. And as you talk to God about you, you're going to talk to God about me. We are to have communication with God, but we are to also have communication with one another in verses 19 and 20. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't just make his desires known to God. He also makes his desires, his prayer requests known to the church at Ephesus. He says in verses 19 and 20, I want you to pray for me. As I'm in house arrest, as I'm going to stand before the Roman emperor, I want you to pray for me that I'll speak with boldness. That's how I should speak. Maybe Paul was being tempted to be a little bit bashful. Maybe he was being tempted to be a little bit shy. And he says, I'm communicating this to you so that you can communicate it to God. I'm talking to you about what I'm struggling with so that you can pray for me that I'll be able to speak with boldness. He says, that's exactly how I should speak. Now, this is a place where you should feel comfortable sharing your struggles. This is a place where you should feel comfortable talking about what you're going through or what you're dealing with in life, where I'm talking to you about me and you're talking to me about you and we're able to talk to God about that together. It's communication that needs to happen. Communication with God and communication with one another. And so we've seen what we need to do to be victorious in this war. This is the reality that we find ourselves in. We find why we need to do that. We find what we need to put on those seven different parts of God's armor. But then the last question that I want to ask is how? How in the world are we supposed to do this? Because if you spend a lot of time thinking about this situation, it might make your head spin just a little bit. I mean, let it sink in. Satan is attacking you. How often do you think about that throughout the week? Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to devour your relationship with God. And Paul says when we put on the whole armor of God, we're going to be able to stand against Him. But how can I do that? When I read about truth and righteousness and the Word of God, that seems beyond my reach. It seems beyond my strength. We'll go back to the very first verse of our section of Scripture tonight. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10, what does it say? 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Fighting against Satan. Waging war against the enemy. Putting on the whole armor of God. Standing firm when that evil day comes is not something that we do on our own. It's not something that we do based on our own strength or our own power or our own might. Fighting against Satan and putting on God's armor is something that we do based on His strength. See, if it's left up to me, I'm not going to be able to do it. If it's left up to you, you're not going to be able to do it. But whenever we make our way into God's strength, when we access the strength of His might, we find all that we need to do what Paul is talking about in this section of Scripture. It might seem like a high order, especially whenever you look at your life right now. We can do it when we connect to God. God's already won the war. Do you know that? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God has already won this thing. We just have to side with Him. Let's access His strength, live by the strength of His might, instead of attempting to do everything on our own and attempting to put everything on our shoulders. This is war. And we need to take it seriously. How are you doing with it? As you live your life on a daily basis, how are you doing with this war, this spiritual war that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, verses 10-20? through When you read through the armor of God, those seven different pieces of God's armor, what are some areas of strength in your life? What are some areas of weakness in your life? What do you need to spend some time working on? And how can you work on those things this week? Because this isn't something that needs to wait. The war is waging right now. And so what do we need to do in order to be victorious tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Maybe it's the case that you need to put on the helmet of salvation. And you need to make that commitment to Jesus in the waters of baptism. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to study with you about that. Or maybe it's the case that when you read through this text, you're studying with righteousness Your knowledge of God's Word and your use of God's Word, application of it is not where it needs to be. Communicate that to us. Ask us to pray for you. We would love to. That that would be our privilege to do that tonight. We're in this war and we're in this war together. So let's rely on one another. If you need that tonight, then avail yourselves to it as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.